Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad to have you with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. I'm happy to report that Jim Garrity is home today. He's in his home studio on his good mic. I'm sorry there's not going to be any easy listening music today. If you were hoping that was going to be a continuing trend on the podcast, I have some disappointing news for you. But we do have three good martinis today. So, Jim, I know it was a crazy week last week. Good to have you back. Greg, do you notice on social media a lot of people talked about it? I I was kind of surprised (laughs) that, you know... Our listeners aren't just listening to what we say. They're listening to what they can hear in the background. So, you know, (laughs) maybe we'll put some sort of like subliminal message in there or something. We appreciate that close attention. Only people listening more intensely to us is the NSA. (laughs) <laughs> that's right that's right but we are so grateful that you're listening uh and we do not take that for granted today or any other day so let's jump right into uh our content today and jim uh sometimes the good martini is something that didn't happen because what we did expect to happen would have been a whole lot worse and so we've been talking for a couple of weeks now that uh, may 9th is the victory day in russia it's basically their ve day Uh, for marking the end of World War II. And so a lot of people had speculated, a lot of different intelligence folks had said, oh, that's when he's going to announce an official war instead of just like a military operation. Or he's going to, you know, hold a uh, referendum in the Donbass, which he obviously would win on on where that land should should be which country should it be in uh could have been it could have been any number of uh ominous things but none of those appeared to happen uh new york times president putin used his victory day speech on monday to try to channel russian pride in defeating nazi germany into support for this year's invasion of ukraine but contrary to some expectations he did not make any new announcements signaling a mass mobilization for the war effort or an escalation of the onslaught speaking in red square on russia's most important secular holiday putin restated his claims that attacking Ukraine was inevitable and the only correct decision, his words. He also said that Russian troops in eastern Ukraine were fighting on their land, an indication that Mr. Putin had no plans to relinquish control of the territory his forces had taken in recent months. Now, uh, his vision of what's happening there is still complete gaslighting and so forth. He's still talking about Ukraine's defenders as Nazis. So there's nothing changing about Putin's rhetoric. But in a way, that's a good thing because he could have been ordering uh, some really, really ugly things here or ratcheting up this uh, conflict in a number of different ways. And at least for now, he's not. Indeed, Greg. I think one of the things that jumps out about this and the fact that it was, uh, by Putin's standards, soft-pedaled. By Putin's standards, this was the downbeat and non-fiery, non-threatening, no big announcements. I I think there's two things we can take away from this. The first is that uh, Greg, for a long stretch of this war, we wondered how much Putin was in touch with reality and how much he was getting briefed and what he was getting briefed and how accurate that was. Uh, obviously, his rhetoric was not matching what was happening on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, but after a while, if you're Putin and you notice, we're, you know, even if you're getting happy talk reports, eventually you notice you don't have Kiev. Eventually you notice that the lines on the map are not advancing the way they were supposed to. And so I think the fact that he did not, uh, thankfully, set off a nuke, he did not announce a declaration of war instead of a special military operation um, or something like that, kind of is an indicator. He knows the war is not going well. He is now getting a a more clear picture of the war and clear enough to realize um, that this is not something that's going to be one fiery announcement of a new 
new effort is going to transform this. I think he recognizes that the war is not going to be this clear, shining victory that Russia wanted. In fact, it may not be much of a victory at all. Um, and that is a reassuring sign. The other thing is that he didn't call for a global a general mobilization, effectively a draft, effectively, you know, trying to get as many Russian men who are not in the military now into the military, trained quickly and put them into the battlefront. I think it's safe to say Putin didn't do that because he recognized the stability of his rule and his regime would be at stake. Uh, that that would generate a, neg- a pushback from even even the loyal Russian people would push back against this at some point. So I think between these two, he didn't set off nuke. Um, he, the, there's supposed to be a mobile command plane that was supposed to be part of a flyover. Uh, that would be if, you know, in case of a full-scale nuclear exchange, Putin would go to that plane and to be able to stay in command and he would not be a uh, stationary target for any attack, that he would be a mobile target going around uh, avoiding, you know, potential nuclear explosions and things like that. Um, that would be the fact that did not fly over. And as much as that would like to fly, be a nice uh, sign, apparently also weather was an issue. So um, you add all this up, this is a, a bunch of indicators that Russia, that, that Putin is not, he's a little more in, in, in touch and in recognizing that the war is not going well. He is for finally, this is the first time he's kind of turned down the heat just a little bit on his fiery rhetoric and his desire to inflame the situation and pledging, uh, you know, nuclear fireballs and stuff like that. So I think um, this may be a small, you know, not, not, we shouldn't over, overinterpret this. The war is still going on. It's still very serious. Still a lot of Ukrainians getting killed, still a lot of casualties on the Russian side. But I do think this is an indicator that um, the path to some sort of climb down while it's probably not coming soon, and it's probably not going to be an easy road to it, it is coming looking more likely um, that Putin's survival instinct is still, in, you know, still in effect, and he recognizes how badly the war is going for his country. Yeah, I'm just glad it didn't escalate today. Hopefully, you're right about that. Uh, hopefully, he does see reality. He sees what's in his own best interest, but. I don't know. It's hard for him to admit anything (laughs) didn't go right or wasn't the right decision. So we'll see what happens here if he can dial it back. But uh, in the meantime, Jim, we're also very happy to be sponsored again today by Athletic Greens, also known as AG1. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and more. And uh, not only does this make getting all your daily vitamins and more uh, super easy by just uh, taking them in one quick drink. But also, it tastes good. I was going to say, Greg, listeners may have heard me mention this before. If you're skeptical listeners, I get it. I was skeptical myself. They sent me a sample, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, "Ah, do I really want to try this? Do I really want to taste, you know? And it's green. In fact, it's kind of a bright green color. So you might be thinking, is this going to be kale? Is this going to be vegetable, like drinking a, a glass of vegetables or something? No, it's not like that at all. I'd describe the taste as like a somewhere between minty and uh, kind of a green tea matcha. Um, but it was actually nice to taste. It was it was delightful to drink down. And so think about it. You can either go out to a store and get a whole bunch of vitamins to cover all of those vitamin needs, or you could just drink one glass of AG. And that's that seems like a much easier, much simpler way to do it, and a much more enjoyable and tasty way to get your vitamins as well. Costs you less than $3 a day, which is way cheaper than getting all those different supplements yourself. And you might want to know that Athletic Greens is paying it forward. In fact, in 2020, AG donated more than 1.2 million meals to kids uh, during the pandemic year. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and 
Five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash martini. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash martini to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Jim, our bad martini is our follow-up to our crazy on Friday. That's when Jen Psaki, despite multiple opportunities, refused to simply say, you know what? The president would really appreciate it if those of you upset about what appears to be the coming decision overturning Roe v. Wade could protest in front of the Supreme Court or in some other public place and not harass justices at their homes. But no, she couldn't do that. So over the weekend, crowds showed up at Chief Justice Roberts' house, uh, also at Brett Kavanaugh's house, uh, also at one point, I believe, at Sam Alito's house, to the point where Justice Alito and his family have now had to move for security reasons. And we're seeing reports that all the justices are now getting much more security around the clock. In response to that this morning, Jen Psaki, who's still on the job, uh, tweeting out, uh, POTUS strongly believes in the constitutional right to protest, but that should never include violence, threats, or vandalism. Judges perform an incredibly important function in our society, and they must be able to do their jobs without concern for their personal safety. So, Jim, she's inching in the right direction here, but why can't she just say, keep it away from their houses? Because once you don't tell them they can't go there, uh, telling them to calm down once they get there, probably not going to work. The Democratic Party really could use a grown-up. And I think when Joe Biden won the primary, one of the reasons people voted for him, and he beat out Bernie Sanders, and he beat out so many other Democratic candidates is that Joe Biden seemed like the figure most likely to be a grown-up until the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes of the party. No, you can't get everything you want. No, we have to compromise. No, we're not doing that because it's not in the best interest of the country. And oh, by the way, Joe Biden will be very eager to tell you what a devout Catholic he is and how his faith informs all of his values. And up until, eh, you know, the Obama years, he was actually supportive of certain mild restrictions on abortion. No, no one would call this man a pro-lifer by any stretch of the imagination. But you could see certain areas on the edges where he was willing to restrict or limit abortion. Once he's on a national ticket, we all know Democrats don't support it. You know, very few Democrats support any restrictions on abortion at all. And in fact, in recent years, the progressive left has moved on to sing your abortion. And the idea that abortion is a good thing. And it was that god-awful comedian who did the song. and Anyway, so you get the idea that this is, you know, it is now a point of pride in the Democratic Party that not only is the, you know, abortion safe, legal, or rare, or a necessary evil or something like that, abortion is a good thing, and that no one should ever feel any regret or shame or, or negative feelings about it, and shame on you if you try to make someone else feel bad about for an act that many pro-lifers see as akin to murdering an infant. So the judges, you know, the judges have not officially put out their decision. We think the decision is likely to be on those either five to four lines or five, three, one. Maybe Roberts is going to try to carve out some sort of middle ground, dissenting in part and assenting in part, but who knows. But we've now reached the point where this, if, if we believe, many of us on the right thought the reason the, uh, the draft was released was because this was designed to maximize public pressure on the justices. If you you better not do this, or else pro-choicers across the country will be really angry. Well, in this case, that leaker has, if that was the aim, this leaker has achieved exactly what they want to do. As you mentioned, it's been focusing on Alito. We've been mentioning on a couple other justices. Um, Greg, it, when I saw this headline, it reminded me of the one of probably one of the lesser John Grisham novels or films, but the Pelican Brief. This idea, and the, the, you know, for those who never read the book, saw the movie. 
I believe it starts out, it's been a long time since I read this, the, the at least two Supreme Court justices get murdered. Mm -hmm. And this creates openings on the court. And obviously the president, who is, I think, I want to say like, you know, an evil Republican or something is going to be able to appoint two replacements and potentially alter the balance. And if I remember correctly, it was an evil oil company that was running around killing people and stuff. Now, in this case, obviously, you know, in Hollywood, it's always the the right wing that is evil and trying to do these sorts of things and trying to destroy people and stuff like that. It doesn't actually happen, you know. But uh, it's Bernie Sanders shoot uh, of supporters who end up trying to shoot up the the uh, softball fields and things like that. But in this case, you kind of wonder if you're a, a adamant, frothing at the mouth pro choice activist. Well, if you kill off certain uh, right leaning or strict constructionist or uh, justices who do not support the continuation of Roe versus Wade, who see it as wrongly decided and that it should be overturned, that the issue of abortion and regulate and how to regulate it should be kicked back to the states. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, you know, if, if you're, you know, first of all, it's not like these people could say, oh, murder is against their principles because they're already comfortable with murder in the womb, or at least that's how some of us see it. But also this idea of like, well, why wouldn't you? Because also the other thing we have noticed is that um, people on the left who break the rules, who break the law in defense of their causes, get celebrated, get get you know get book deals, get cable news interviews, gets turned into someone who is a hero of the cause. And have you seen people who are just flat out saying, no, no, it's perfectly okay for a Supreme Court just uh, clerk to leak a decision if they feel sufficiently outraged about it? which is not the way it's supposed to work at all. We're all supposed to agree. The same rules apply to us. There was some idiot Georgetown law professor who insisted, look, I completely support protesting at the justice houses. That's not intimidation. That's perfectly fine. It's totally different from January 6th because the cause of the protesters matters. And the short end, what he's basically saying is that if I agree with the protesters, they can do what they want. But if I don't agree with the protesters, they can't do what they want. That's not the way it's supposed to work. All of these laws and all these restrictions on any speech are supposed to be content neutral. That's why it's okay to you know, require a permit for a particular spot if you have the same requirement for everybody. That's you know, uh, very basic First Amendment stuff here that obviously a whole bunch of law professors find optional when it interferes with the side they prefer. So, oh, by the way, yes, there is that law in the books about intimidating judges before their decision. It's very hard to interpret this as anything other than an attempt to intimidate the judges before their decision or the justices before their decision. So um, absolutely egregious. And we've gotten this, you know, mealy-mouthed, watered-down statement from Saki. If Biden really meant this, he would say it on camera. Um, and it's just a, you can tell this is clearly a check-the-box type of response so that, God forbid, something actually happens. The Biden administration thinks they won't get too much blame because they can say, hey, look, we issued a statement saying don't do this. Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly, Jim. Uh, we learned two years ago very clearly, and I think we'd even do it before then, that uh, any conduct is okay as long as it's uh, in the service of an acceptable end goal uh, on the left. That's why it was okay to torch the cities and the Democrats looked the other way. Uh, and now even yesterday, Nancy Pelosi was on one of the uh, weekend shows saying the most important thing we have to do right now is uh, convince the Supreme Court justices to vote differently. No, that's not, that's not your job. <laughs> that's exactly not your job uh, right now. That's whole separation of powers thing, but apparently that only works in certain circumstances. But all right, let's talk about uh, another a phenomenal deal, and that is the one you can get from MyPillow. It's a BOGO extravaganza. If you're not familiar with BOGO, buy one, get one. So basically, two for the price of one. Right now, MyPillow bedsheets get two sets for as low as $59.98. MyPillows as low as $49.98. And the uh, product we haven't talked about too much until the last few days, the Roll and Go Anywhere My Pillows for just $29.98. 
You might be thinking, BOGO stick? No, no, no. You're thinking of a POGO stick. Buy one, get one free. And you think about the roll and go anywhere my pillow. You can use it on your couch, your recliner, and in your car. It's versatile enough to take it with you, whether you're on vacation or a work trip, anywhere you want to go. The Roll and Go Anywhere My Pillow is available in multiple colors and patterns. It's machine washable and dryable, and it comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. It's a buy one, get one extravaganza at mypillow.com slash martini. Bed sheets and my pillows are just the tip of the iceberg, so find the full list of BOGO offers by visiting mypillow.com slash martini. Or call 800-874-0104. Stock up with buy one, get one free savings today and get Mike's book free with any purchase. MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. One more time, MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim. uh, Last Tuesday was the Senate primary in Ohio. And other than the first round of primaries in Texas back in March, that was really kind of the kickoff for primary season here in the midterm elections. Starting last week, uh, pretty much uh, through the summer with a couple of exceptions, I think maybe in July, we've got primaries somewhere in this country and we've got some pretty high profile races where nominees are going to be decided. And through those nominees, at least in part, is how the control of the U.S. Senate as well as the House will be decided uh, and some governorships uh, later on this year. So One of the big ones uh, coming up next week on the 17th, Tuesday, is uh, Pennsylvania. That's an open seat. Uh, Pat Toomey is retiring after two terms. Democrats licking their chops. They think they can pick this one up. Republicans trying to hold it. The national conditions obviously favor Republicans uh, to some extent. There's a pretty decent amount of infighting in the Democratic primary, too. You've got Fetterman, uh, who most consider to be the more liberal candidate, going up against uh, Connor Lamb who I think poses more of a moderate than he actually is. But nonetheless, that's the big fight on the left. And then you've got this fight in the Republican primary that uh, involves a a number of people, including Dr. Oz, of course, uh, Kathy Barnett and Dave McCormick, who's who's a businessman. Those are the big three. Uh, Recent poll out from Trafalgar just last night shows Dr. Oz at 24.5, then Kathy Barnett at 23.2. She's kind of the one with the momentum right now. And then Dave McCormick at 21.6. So, you know, three people within three points. A lot can happen in the last week. But the big story that we want to talk about today is one that actually Mike Pompeo is highlighting, which makes it interesting since Dr. Oz is Trump's candidate. But uh, Pompeo not happy uh, with the news that Dr. Oz voted in Turkey, or at least in Turkish elections, as recently as 2018. Now, we've known he's a dual citizen, uh, but uh, due to some voter records obtained by the Washington Free Beacon, uh, Turns out Dr. Oz did not vote in his home state's uh, Republican Senate primary election on June 5th, 2018, but later that year, he did vote in Turkish elections. Now, it's worth pointing out that his home state is New Jersey, because that's where he lives, but he's running in Pennsylvania. So, uh, Jim, there's a lot of things about Dr. Oz that have never sat right with me. It seemed like he was just kind of your standard boilerplate liberal, and then he decided there might be an avenue to him for him to get a Senate seat by going after the CDC's handling of COVID and so forth. Uh, but now, then he got the Trump endorsement, so he's the guy to beat right now. But the more you learn about this guy, it just doesn't sit right. First of all, it seems like he's been a Republican for about 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> and really, you really got to squint and put on like Coke bottle bottom glasses to try to say, oh, I see him as a conservative uh, because he really doesn't have any history of that. The issue of him being an immigrant from Turkey 
look, that's fine. You know, lots of people still are interested in their home, old home countries or something like that. He has met with and is generally not seen as a particularly vocal critic of Erdogan, who's not our friend over there and who is, you know, drifted fairly authoritarian, autocratic and Islamist over time. Um, you know, listeners may recall I was in Turkey from 2005 to 2007. And at that point, the U.S. attitude was, well, this is not the guy we would have wanted to see the election, but he's still a guy we can do business with. Year by year, decade by decade, he has become more and more clearly Islamist and opposed to U.S. interests. Uh, that's not a Republican assessment. That's not a Democratic assessment. It's pretty, you know, just broadly defined that way. And if he, okay, so he has a photo with him, an opportunity with him or something, or maybe because of business interests, he feels a need to not be on an antagonistic relationship or relatives back in Turkey. Okay, fine. Dr. Reza's fine. But voting in the Turkish election and then not voting in the U.S. election? Huh? That, that, that really kind of jumps out and I think lends more reason for concern. Um, let's assume, I, I, you know, uh, it turns out I think I have something in common with Dr. Oz that we both have in-laws who live in Pennsylvania. But that's, you know, by and large, you generally run in your home state and you really got to stretch the definition of home state to think of Mehmet Oz as a, new, as a Pennsylvania resident. But fine, he chooses to run. Well, then why haven't you been voting in Pennsylvania elections? Why haven't you been voting in U.S. elections? And why are you voting in Turkish elections? So this is one of those cases where it could, you know, in a different context, could it be construed as xenophobic or attacking Dr. Oz just because he's a Turkish American? Yeah, I, but this isn't that case. This is a case of, okay, one, what do you think of uh, uh, the regime over there in Turkey? Two, what ties do you have to it? And three, dual citizenship is one thing, but it really looks bad when you're voting in other countries' elections, but not in ours. And it, that just all kind of adds to this perception of, whatever kind of a doctor he is, <laughs> quack, um, or whatever other kind of things that you think of him, he does seem like a guy whose interest in this seat kind of seemed to pop into his head that he hasn't really done the groundwork. He hasn't done the uh, the legwork, the homework, all the other kind of work you would do to be the Republican nominee from the state of Pennsylvania. I, I'm not saying McCormick is a perfect candidate or a perfect citizen or, or something like that. I'm sure you can find things in his background to oppose to, but he just seems very, you know, clear. he does. There's a whole bunch of issues that Republicans will not have to defend if he is the nominee than if Dr. Oz is the nominee. And the argument put forth by the former president, well, Dr. Oz has been on TV. That's like winning a primary by itself. I don't see it that way, and I find celebrity candidates often create more problems than they solve. But uh, your mileage may vary, listeners. I don't live in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's your decision, but just be forewarned about what it looks like you're getting with when it comes to Dr. Oz. Yeah, one thing I haven't seen is how these Republicans stack up against either of the likely uh, Democratic nominees. And so um, I, my, my gut feeling is that I don't think Oz does well statewide. I think whoever, I mean, it's going to be a tough race no matter who it is and, and who the opponent is. But, uh, you know, it seems like McCormick is a little bit more of the, the traditional type of a Republican candidate. Barnett is a little more of the uh, America first type. So I, I think between those two, you probably have uh, a decent selection. Uh, but if Republicans are going to take the Senate, they got to pick the right candidates. And of those three, I think actually Oz might have the worst chance of winning statewide, but I could be proven wrong. If he can pull it off, he will have earned it. But uh, as of right now, I feel like the Republicans can do better. We, we should point out, by the way, uh, Greg, that uh, Fetterman, the likely Democratic nominee, not a guarantee, but I think he looks like he's fairly ahead in a bunch of these polls, is a guy who looks like a biker gang. Right? He's, 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 he's huge. He's, you know, dresses very casually. He's got the goatee. He's got the piercings, tattoos. He looks like 
salt of the earth guy. But he votes and supports positions that are indistinguishable from Bernie Sanders. Yeah. He's an extremely left wing guy, an extremely progressive, but he looks like this kind of guy you'd be like, you know, chugging back shots and beers with at the toughest bar in town. And so I think uh, something worth keeping in mind here is the degree to which um, they're going to go in and they're going to try to play very populist. And if Fetterman wins, you end up having an extremely progressive vote, a, in a uh, Senate vote in a state that Trump won once and that Toomey won twice and that you know, in the right kind of circumstances, Republicans can win. I think Pennsylvania, you'd ordinarily characterize as a purple state. And you don't want to see a Bernie Sanders type getting elected in a purple state. But if Republicans don't play their cards right, that's what it could shake, could shake out here. You're 100% right that that's how they're going to try to portray Fetterman in Pennsylvania. That's how he's doing it in the primary. Uh, that's how he'll do it in the general election if, in fact, he's the nominee. So a uh, lot to watch there. If there's ever a uh, basketball game, we'll put Glenn Youngkin up against him and, uh, you know, <laughs> Hope that Youngkin, uh, you know, has better post moves, I guess. But uh, yeah, a lot to a uh, lot to watch in Pennsylvania. A lot of big primaries coming up. So uh, if you're if you're paying attention, get out there and vote and uh, have your voice heard as we pick these candidates for these crucial races coming uh, in the weeks and months ahead. So, uh, Jim, good to be back with you. Uh, and we should also point out, probably should have done this at the top of the show. Uh, schedules can always change, and they often do. But as of right now. We will have a special guest on Wednesday's edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And assuming the schedule doesn't change by tomorrow, we'll probably drop a couple more clues. Indeed. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we are, we are waiting on, is it tenter hooks? Tender hooks? <laughs> there are hooks and we can't tell if they're tenter or tender, but nonetheless, <laughs> we're very excited to have this guest. A lot of interesting topics to cover with this guest. Uh, and it is scheduled to be our first in-person studio, but that's one of the in, in-studio interviews. Yeah. Uh, but that remains to be seen. So get excited, but don't get too excited is what we're telling our <laughs> listeners to do. We're going to have a podcast on Wednesday is what we're telling you. We will be here. We <laughs> there hope could be we... two of us. There could be three of us. There could be. Right now, we're supposed to be three of us. But uh, you never know that these people, they've got uh, very busy schedules. So things, things can change quickly. But uh, as of right now, that's the plan. So Jim, uh, rest up for tomorrow and, uh, and our event on, on Wednesday. Talk to you then. See you, see you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Uh, we're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, uh, remember to get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Trump Media and Technology Group CEO Devin Nunes joins us to discuss the fierce battle over free speech. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Nunes discusses the recent surge on his Truth Social site, Elon Musk buying Twitter, and the Biden administration's new disinformation governance board. I'll also explain how even our own military is now dependent upon China for critical products and how the problem is getting worse. Follow the Sarah Carter Show wherever you get your podcasts.